When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Austin. You ready to talk about some Dragon Age? I'm ready. Like Spongebob. (laughs) All right. Well, there's some good news and there's some bad news. What's the... Are you ready? Okay, yeah. mm -hmm, I'm ready. (laughs) Which one do you want first? Um... Let's go with the bad news. Okay. The bad news is we're at the end of our Countries of Thetis series. No, we have one more. (laughs) We do? Oh, yeah. I forget because it's very small. We're almost... The bad news is we're (laughs) almost at the end of our Countries of Thetis series. Okay, what's the good news? (laughs) The good news is that we are talking probably about a very favorite and very not a lot known uh, country of Thetis. We are. And I'm not sure if we can call this a country. Oh, interesting. Our catchphrase. Interesting. (laughs) That is our catchphrase. What are we talking about? Well, today we're talking about Parvalin and Saharan, um, both of which are occupied by the Kunari. Mm-hmm. So are these two cities? No, Parvalin, well, they're both in, it's kind of confusing um, because we honestly don't know everything about these two places, but Parvalin and Saharan are basically countries. Saharan is an island. Um, like I kind of picture it like uh, the size of England. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's how I picture it. Um, and then Parvalin is um, the homeland, really, of the Kunari. Uh, Parvalin is located north of Ravane. Um, the Kunari are not the first to inhabit this island or even the only ones to have ever claimed it, which we'll get into. But um, it's where they live now, and it's really, now it, it is Kunari. Like, that, that's just what it is. Um, so, I hope that's an answer to your question. Yes, that makes sense. All right. Well, well I guess let's just dive in. You kind of already got started on Parvalin, the homeland of the Kunari. Yes, a little bit. Um, I just it said it's located north of Ravane, and um, 
before the Kunari arrived and Parvalans, I'm just guess I'm digging into the ancient history a little bit. But before the Kunari arrived, there was a race there, um, and this group of people were called the Fex. We really know nothing about them. We just know that they existed and basically um, integrated into the Kunari. So maybe we'll we'll get more of that in future, but we'll see. What I was going to say, just like as a disclaimer before this, for those of you who maybe not have delved deeply into the Kunari lore in Inquisition and Dragon Age 2, but Kunari, their names are their positions in society. Right, like their names are not actual names that are unique to each and every individual. There is no individual in the Kunari. Right, there is only the Kune. Um, and so we're going to be saying names like Sten and Arashok and um, Asad. Like, these are all positions, but they're also individuals. Um, Iron Bull is really kind of the first member of the Kune that has, like, a distinct personality. Well, not a distinct personality. Well, yeah. I mean, they each have their own personalities, I think, because they're, they're, right. they are individuals even if they don't recognize that part of themselves. So they each have things that make them unique, um, but they don't have, like, that part of them is not prominent like it may be in Orlay or Ferelden. Right. And so just so that when we say Sten, we are not necessarily talking about Sten, the Dragon Age Origins companion. Right, but I think what we're going to try to do in this episode is differentiate when we are talking about the specific characters versus the titles. And I do think this will only be a little bit confusing when we're talking about the Aeroshock and like what makes up Kunari society. So, but either way, we'll try to differentiate which we mean. Right. All right, well, let's keep going then. Just wanted that little disclaimer out of the way. Yes, thank you. Okay, so the capital of Parvalin is Kunandar, and the language that they speak in Parvalin is Kunlat. So everything kind of revolves around the Kun. Um, so let's dig into the ancient history a little bit. And... In a lot of our past episodes, we have started with, like, the ancient age or um, the divine age or, or whatever. Like, especially in these last two episodes we just did with the dwarves. Like, we're starting way, way before um, in many of the humans are even on Thetis. So, we're talking a long time ago. In this, we are not. So when I say ancient history, it's really not ancient history as the rest of Thetis knows it. So, but this is ancient history for the Kunari on Thetis. So starting out, uh, before the Kunari came into power, Tevinter held a pretty loose grasp um, in control of Parvalin. And 
pretty much as soon as the Canari landed, they started to conquer Parvalin and took it away from Taventer. And this happened in 630 Steel. So this is just 300 years before the events of Dragon Age Origins. So by the time of Origins, the Canari are still kind of a relatively new player in the game. Yeah, I mean, compared to everyone else, absolutely. But hear me when I say that new is not, you know, weak or um, anything like that. I mean, they're extremely powerful, as we've seen throughout the games even. Um, so, yeah, they are the newest players, but they are not the weakest players by any stretch. It makes me wonder where the Kinari came from originally. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a great question that we just don't know the answers to. Okay, so um, let's move on a little bit. So when they first landed in Parvalin, there were some people that lived on the island, but they either, you know, were executed, they fled, or they converted to the Kuhn. Um and pretty much immediately after they, they landed and conquered on Parvalin, the Kunari went to war with the rest of Thetis, um, wanting to conquer, wanting to convert everyone to the Kuhn. So, I mentioned the Fex earlier. We know virtually nothing about them. They now have assimilated completely into Kunari culture. And... One of the reasons why we know so little about the effects and just generally about Parvalin is because very few outsiders are ever permitted to visit Parvalin. We, as the player, the only things we've learned about Parvalin are through the lens of the Iron Bull, Sten, or the Arashok. And maybe a few random codex entries um, but the bulk of what we know comes from those three characters. So, throughout this episode, we will tell you as much as we can about Parvalin and Saharan, but we'll also focus on the Kunari society, especially since the society is really inseparable from the cities and the culture of Parvalin and the Kunari. Right, all right. So, to start it off, the World of Thetis Encyclopedia claims that Parvalin is the only place to understand the whole of Kunari society because you can see it in its entirety. The Kunari view their society as a single creature, a living entity whose health and well-being is the responsibility of everyone. Most of the Kunari outside of Parvalin belong to the army, the physical body. The mind and the soul of the Kunari, they stay in Parvalin. So from our perspective, from the player's perspective, we have seen a very, very, very limited chunk of who the Kunari actually are. Yeah, that's crazy. 
I know. And I really didn't realize how deep this went until I started getting into this research. And like, you can do this too if you're listening. Like, you can just go to the Dragon Age Wiki right now. And we're about to start talking about the three branches of Kunari society. And you can plug each one of these three branches into the Dragon Age Wiki. And you can just look at the length of the article and you can see just the difference in amount of knowledge from that. Like the two, the, the Arashok and the military articles are really long. Like we've got a lot of good info about that. But the other two are maybe two paragraphs. And that's pretty significant. Um, it really shows you how little we know. But we'll tell you what we do know. So, starting off, we wanted to talk about Kunari society. Um, because of this quote from the encyclopedia that I just read, that Parvalin's the only place to understand it, we thought we would paint a, a picture as best we can of what we know about the whole of Kunari society. So... To start out, and this is probably uh, one of the most important things to know about Kunari society. There are three branches of society in, in, in Parvalin, generally. And that is known as the Triumvirate. So, there's these three branches. There's the army. And then there is the priesthood. And then there is the crafters and the merchants. So those are the three main branches, and I'll dive into each of those a little bit. But those three together are known as the triumvirate, and they're like a trinity, and they are inseparable from who the Kunari actually are. Um, and each person, each individual Kunari, is placed under one of those three branches and that's their job that's what they do that's their life um, and you can really talk to iron bull in dragon age inquisition about some of this stuff and he'll give you his perspective all right well are you ready to just get a little bit more into these branches i guess so <laughs> Um, it was kind of confusing doing this research because, so the first branch is the Antom, and the Antom are led by the Arashok. Well, we know the most about this one, of course, and the other two, I don't know if their leader and the name of the branch are the same, or we just don't know the name of that branch. Um... So that was a little confusing, but let's dig into the Antom a little bit. So the Antom, which means body in the Kunari language in Kunlat, they are the military branch and they are the soldiers. So the Arashok is the commander of the Antom. And when I say the Arashok, I am referring to the position, the title of the Arashok. We meet the Arashok of that time period in Dragon Age 2 in Kirkwall. Um, but since, as we know, we have all played the game, hopefully, um, Hawk takes out the Arashok. And so they have to appoint a new Arashok. So the Arashok is not always right. the same person. Uh, but right now I'm talking about 
the leader, not the individual. So the Kunari see the Antom as the eyes, ears, legs, arms, and hands of the Kunari. And that is a direct quote from Mary Kirby. She is a writer for Dragon Age. Um, so that quote tells us they are the ones that are doing the outreaching. They are the ones that are going and they're seeing and they're pushing or they're pulling or they're conquering. They're the ones that are doing all of the things outward, outside of Parvalin, outside of Kunari society. So because of this, most of, or at least a significant chunk of the, the Kunari that we meet throughout Thetis belong to the Antom, or um, at least part of this group in some way or another. So I'm thinking of the Arashok, Sten, they belong to the Antom. And of course, Iron Bull, the other Kunari main character that we know, he actually doesn't belong to the Antom because he is part of the Ben Hasref. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. So, what does the Antom even do? Well, they, of course, make up the military and they gather military intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But they also seek out and destroy enemies of the Kunari. They conquer anyone who's considered to be a menace to Kunari society. I'm thinking specifically of Isabella. And they protect and recover Kunari artifacts and technology. Again, as we see in both Dragon Age 2 with Isabella and in Dragon Age Inquisition in Trespasser. Mm-hmm. With the Dragon's, with Dragon's Breath. Breath Conspiracy. Absolutely, yes. And we'll talk about that later too. So, because the Antom is the group that reaches out beyond the Kunari, like I just said, the Antom are the spokespeople of the Kun. This does not mean that the Antom are the top um, of the Kun. That's not what it means. The three branches are a trinity. So, if you have any experience like with church or Christianity at all, the language of the Trinity might be a little bit familiar to you because in Christian churches, the Trinity is a big deal. And that's how Christians view God. And so it's kind of the same. There are three branches that come together and make one branch still keeping their distinctions, right? But they're all one. And it means that none of none of the one branches are more important or higher than another. They all are equal with their, their own role and making their own impact in the world, but they all come together as one. It's, I mean, it's continue with the Christian metaphor, you know, it's, it's one body, but many parts. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting to me with the Antom um, because this is the real, like, the Cunari are really the first group in Thetis that is kind of like seeking conversion to mm-hmm. their Yeah, you're right. Because the Chantry really doesn't want that. No, it, it's, 
it's more of like if you are of the chantry stay the chantry and we welcome anyone who wants to like walk in the light of the maker but they don't really care about conversion they don't care about like spreading the word of Andraste necessarily as much as they care about like protecting the integrity of the institution yes exactly so yeah it's different and I think it's interesting and another thing is like the Cunari the Cune is really the first and it kind of falls into that weird thing it's like it is a religion but it's also not a religion right yeah yeah Um, yeah um, and so, but they take, it doesn't matter what race you are, you can convert to the Cune. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Chantry really focuses on humans and elves, um, and mainly just city elves, not really the Dalish. Right. And obviously, following uh, the Dalish gods. The elven gods is for the elves. Right. And then, and the dwarves don't really care about teaching you to worship the stone. Right. That's true, too. Um, but the Cunari are like, yeah, you want to com- convert? It's like, it's a little aggressive because it's convert to the Q. Or die. It's so Spanish Inquisition to me. Right. And like, the air shock in two is basically like being like, you are like, a wretched thing of Kirkwall is wretched and so it must be cleansed right and conquered convert to the cune or die and so it's just an interesting point of like such assurance that their way is the righteous way not just the right way but the righteous way the way to be good Mm -hmm. it's a it's a conviction we haven't really seen in Dragon Age outside of the Kinari. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And I think that's something um, that we need to remember as we go through this episode and even into Dragon Age 4. All right. So the last thing I have to say about the Antom is that um, the Arashok, like I said earlier, is the leader, but he is not the top leader of the Kunari that, you know, they share. And um, the Arashok is always a man. It's always a male. Um, and females can technically be part of the Antom, um, but if they do, they're basically like referred to as men. Um, and you see this in Origins with Sten, um, and he basically is like, if you play a female hero of Ferelden, you have a conversation with Sten where he's basically like, are you a woman? <laughs> and you're like, what the heck is happening? And he's like, why are you a warrior if you're a woman? Do you not want to be a woman? And you you basically have the option to be like, you can be a warrior and a woman. What are you talking about? And then he finally explains a little bit like, well, that's not how it works in the Kuhn. Um, So. Right. And then I guess another thing is like in Trespasser, we meet another leader. Yes. Of a faction of the Kunari. Right? No. Oh. I mean, a leader, yes, but not one a lead, not a leader of one of the three branches. 
Right. But she is some commander of the Ben Hasra. We'll get there. Yeah. All right. All right. You ready to hear about the second branch? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this one's short because we know virtually nothing. Um, The second branch is the Aragena, and the Aragena are the mind of the Cunari. And so they are the crafters and the merchants, and so they are led by the Aragena, same name, um, unlike the previous Antom and Arashog. The Aragena is always female. Also, unlike the Antom, she oversees all of the basic systems of Kunari society. So again, this is an important role. She um, oversees all of the craftspeople. She oversees the merchants. She oversees agriculture and industry and all of that kind of stuff. So now that I've kind of told you about these two leaders, you can really see what I'm talking about when I say that the Antom are the ones that reach out. Like the Arashok literally get stationed in Kirkwall for how many years? Several years. And the Aragena is overseeing the infrastructure and the farming and all of this stuff that's so integral to life on Parvalin. So she would never get stationed somewhere outside of Parvalin. Right. Because she can't do her job outside Exactly. Of and and the Arashok, most of his job is going to be outside of Parvalin, if we're going to be really honest mm-hmm. about it. So moving on a little bit to the Aragun. This is one we know a little bit more about than the Aragena, at least. The Aracune is the soul of the Kunari. They are the priesthood. The Aracune is led by the Aracune, which can be male or female. So the Aracune commands both the Ben Hasreth and the Tamasrens, if I can say that right. So we know quite a bit about the Ben Hasrith because Iron Bull is a Ben Hasrith. So they can be either men or women. They have several different jobs. Iron Bull refers to them as spies, but they're also religious law enforcers and re-educators. So they both re-educate the unruly Kunari and new converts. So, those are kind of the different jobs that they do. And, like I said, Iron Bull is part of the Ben Hasrith, but depending on your decisions in Inquisition, that could change. And then Iron Bull also tells us, I think Iron Bull is the first place we learn about the Tamasrans, but I could be wrong. Yes, um, you are. Okay, so the Tamasrans are the ones who control the Kunari's breeding program, basically, um, however you want to phrase it. They don't have the nuclear family of a mom and a dad and two kids. Like, they do not have that. They don't have anything resembling that. Um, They instead pair people up, um, I guess, to have children. 
And the Tomasarans raise all the children and assign all of the roles. So they're really important because if you make an enemy of a Tomasaran, she could give you a really crappy job for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they have a huge amount of influence. It makes sense about like the raising of the family and that because like there is no individual under the kingdom. right. You are a part of the Kune. You are a part of this one entity. So children are raised as part of the one entity. You, there is no individual family unit because you all are the family unit. Right, exactly. Um, so I just want to close out this little section about the Triumvirate with a quote from the Arashok of Dragon Age 2. He says this, Arashok, Aragena, Aracune. Pillars of the Kunari of the nation that must be. It, I think it really illustrates, again, what we were talking about, like that um, instinct toward conversion and conquering. Like they see themselves as an inevitability. They're going to exist. They're the right thing. They're the righteous thing. They're what's supposed to happen. And so... They have to conquer everything else. It's like that's their prerogative. Like that if they don't attempt to conquer everything else, they're failing in their duty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we move on, I just have one last thing about Parvalin. And I feel like this has been really short. Um, but we don't have a lot of information. So, so the last thing I have to say about Parvalin is that the ancient inhabitants of Parvalin built these huge pyramids. And the pyramids depict images and murals of the original natives to the island interacting in a subservient way with horned beings who are not Kunari. I'm just going to repeat that. The pyramids have murals and depictions of the natives of Parvalin interacting in a subservient way with beings that are horned but are not kunari so a lot of people are believe believe that the kunari conquered parvalin so easily because the natives associated the kunari with the horned beings from the past and therefore they chose to submit to the Kunari instead of fighting or resisting in whatever way. And all of that text comes from a codex called the Pyramids of Parvalin. Yeah, that's really interesting because... Who, and maybe we can get into this later, but there is this, you know, theory or... I think Iron Bull talks about this, that Kunari contain dragon blood. Yes. And that's what... That's what gives them their size, their horns, all of these things. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't find that online anywhere. I couldn't find that in any of my classic resources that I go to. Um, but I believe it's in a conversation you have with Iron Bull after if he is after he is present for you killing a dragon. I I thought it was if you become a reaver. No, he does have something to say if you become a reaver. 
but anyone can have the dragon conversation. Okay. It because he you basically go to him and he's like, hey, let's have a drink and toast to our dragon killing, and that's when he tells you like the Kunari's like respect for a dragon right. and like the the honor that comes from defeating something so great and powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where he tells gotcha. you that. Well, I'll have to figure and that so, out. Right, maybe that I find it highly unlikely that the Kunari just happened to land in an island that happens to venerate horned individuals. Mm-hmm. Too much of a coincidence and for so, you. Right, and so maybe in some time, like, way ancient age, because... We only have recorded history from the dwarfs, the elves, and, and not really the elves, but, and Tevinter from the ancient age. Well, in the tribes of Syrian and the Alamar. Yeah. Um, and so, we don't really know what's going on in those lands before that. Yeah, there's a lot of unexplored history. And it's like, it would be, it would be kind of like colonial of us to assume that nothing is going on there. Absolutely. I don't want to make that assumption. Right. Um, And so there's obviously like the Vex are living there and there's these things. So maybe way back in the Kinari's history and way back in the Vex history, there was a point of tension. And so like, the Cunari happen to sail there because in their tradition they know this is a land that they can sail to. That yeah, it's to. very plausible. Um, I do just want to say it's the Fex, like a fox, but oh. that's okay. No big deal. Well, Sorry. it's okay. Um, I think it's time for a break. I think you are right. All right, let's take a break. All right, welcome to the middle of our show where we uh, tell you what's going on with the podcast. As always, our Patreon is available. Um, you can find the link in our episode description. You can also come and hang out with us on the Robots Radio Discord. Um, that link is also found in the episode description. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast in a way that's not financial, you can always, always go to Apple and leave us a review. Um, if you like what we do, leave us a five-star review, leave us some kind words, and we will read that review on the podcast. Um, and you'll hear that. So please, please review and support us that way. Um, I want to say that I have not forgotten about my streaming of the Dragon Age playthrough that I've been doing. We've just had a lot going on with the upcoming holidays and my own personal work stuff that I haven't been able to get to it. And Shelby has played through the Mass Effect series for the first time. Yeah. So I've been helping her with that, too. I've been crying a lot. But I... Yes. But I'm going to get back to that streaming of that, and we can find out what happens with my Inquisitor, uh, Lavellan, and the decisions that she makes. Yeah. All right, you ready to get back into it? I am. All right. So, that's enough, I think, about Parvalin, or maybe that's all we really have yeah. about Parvalin. Yeah. Um, 
so there is i've always been confused of that because in interactions like both in with the Aeroshock and Stan and Iron Bull, there's conversations about Saharan and Parvalin. And I always thought it was like, oh, Saharan is like this small city that's within Parvalin. No, that is not the case. No, it is not. So Saharan is at, at the largest island in Thetis. So it's it's a pretty sizable island. Um, and the Kunari control it right now. And I think... I think one of the things that I'm thinking about is that so much of... I always thought Saharan was a more, like, just, like, capital of Parvalin, maybe, or something like that, even though that's not the case, because of... It is brought up often, like, when Dorian talks about the Kunari, he talks about Saharan. Yeah, and that makes sense if you think about the geography. Yes. Now it makes yeah. sense. So let's get into this. Yeah, so Saharan is close to Tevinter. Um it's on like the east side, I think is the right direction. Um yes, east of Tevinter. So it's not like right off the coast, but it is way closer to Tevinter than Parvalin is. So, like I just said, Saharan is the largest island in Thetis. It is basically a jungle. Um and it's northeast of Tevinter. So, historically, the island did belong to Tevinter, and they ruled it for a long time, but it was claimed by the Kunari in 632 Steel, which is pretty significant because that's only two years after the Kunari land on Thetis. So, after about 10 years... The Kunari have taken control of the island and a significant portion of Tevinter's mainland, too. Um, Tevinter, in response, has declared multiple exalted marches against the Kunari and have been unsuccessful, um, as the Kunari still hold Saharan. Um, and bef- so, in the events leading up to Dragon Age, um, the games. Tevinter had basically pushed the Kunari out of most of the mainland. So the Kunari held on to Parvalin and Saharan. But in the course, the timeline of the games, um, the Kunari have pushed their way into the Tevinter mainland. Again, taking some cities like Ventus and Neromenian and some of these other more minor cities, um, the Kunari have taken back from Tevinter yet again and this is kind of like an ongoing push and pull between the two um so they're just kind of in that eternal struggle with one another but back to saharan a little bit saharan the island is considered to be kabathari to the kune which means a land to be conquered and converted literally those who need to be taught. So I would assume that all of Thetis is Kabathari, but because Saharan is technically under their rule, that's where they're focused the most in, in my reading of this. I could be wrong. The devs can come and correct me, um, but that's my reading. That's my take. 
Well, I think the Aris shop might use that word when talking about oh, Kirkwall. Okay, maybe. I don't remember. Um I don't 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 again, don't quote me on that. Um it's been a while since I've had those conversations and I haven't pressed X through them. So yeah. you know, don't quote me on that. Well so it's considered, you know, people who need to be taught. Um but to add to this, the Kunari control over Saharan is not the same as Parvalan. Like, Parvalan is theirs. Like, it's theirs. Saharan, they maintain a loose control over. It is wild. It's chaotic. It's not this orderly, systematic society that they've created in Parvalan. It's, it's way more chaotic than that. Because they meet a heavy resistance from Tevinter. They meet a heavy resistance from Talvashoth in the north part of the island, and they meet a heavy resistance from the Fog Warriors. Now, we first hear about the Fog Warriors, I think, in Dragon Age 2 with Fenris, which, Austin, you're doing your little happy dance right now, I'm sure. Um, but, so the Fog Warren, far, oh, wow, wow, the Fog Warrens. I've been playing way too much Mass Effect. Anyways, so the Fog Warriors are native Saharan rebels who have resorted to guerrilla warfare against both Kunari and Tevinter occupants. So they are known as the Fog Warriors, and tales of their prowess and stealth have given them a major reputation on the island and on the mainland. So they are very feared um, warriors, um, well-respected, very much seen as a threat. Um, so the Kunari do not take their occupation of Saharan for granted. They know that it could change. And so because of that, I think, is the reason why they've been able to hold on to it. Um, whereas Tevinter, in so many ways, they take their lands for granted. They take their power for granted. They think, well, we're to venture. Nobody could, nobody could uh, make us fail. Nobody could, could get underneath us. Nobody could conquer us. But the Kunari, they think, well, yeah, they could. And so we're going to be ready. And I think that's a huge difference in attitude. Right. Definitely Okay, so let's get back to your favorite character <laughs> for a minute. So, um, just before the events of the Fifth Blight and the events of Origins, Sten lived in Saharan. And Fenris says that he has been told he's from Saharan, but he doesn't remember due to the amnesia caused by the application of his lyrium markings. Right. And, in addition, the Ben Hasrath recommend a two-year maximum tour of service on Saharan. Iron Bull served on Saharan for almost ten years. So, literally five times the recommended maximum amount. And I think Bull talks about, like, he also talks about fighting the Fog Warriors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting that it's kind of like a moment of like, okay, if you can fit the Ben Hasser, like if you can survive 
Saharan, you can come work for us. Well, he was in the Ben Hasrif. Like, he got sent to, to right. Saharan. So he was already working for but them. But it's like a... It's like a... It's like a rite of passage. Like your it's like your initiation almost like or your your pledging. Like you have oh, you haven't been to Saharan yet? You're not a real Ben Hester. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, I see that. Well, the only other thing I have left is there are two notable cities in Saharan. One is called Alam and the other is Saharan, the capital. Well, that's Saharan. Okay. So, we would be remiss to talk about, because we've kind of talked about it with every other country. So, what's going on in Parvalin and Saharan? After, like, what do we know after the events of Dragon Age Inquisition? What's going on? Well, there's not much that we know. Um, if you've read Taventer right. Nights... You will know, um, and I, I did not do a ton of research about this, so this is just a little bit of a summary. But if you've read To Venture Nights, you'll know that there's a conflict in the Triumvirate. And what I mean by that is that the Antom has basically broken off from the Aragena and the Aracun, and they're kind of doing their own thing. Um... And, oh, we never said this. This is a very important detail. The current Aeroshock of the Air- Antom is Sten, who is no longer Sten. He is Aeroshock. Right. Right. And we find that out in the comics. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know, when I say that the, the Antom has broken off, to be fair, it's a little ambiguous. I don't think it's the entire and Tom, or at least I don't know if it's the entire Antom or just a group of it. Um, but when you read To Venture Nights, and I don't want to get too spoilery for that book because it's new still. You know, it hasn't even been out for a year. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's some conflict um, in the Triumvirate, and I definitely think it will play into future installments of Dragon Age, whatever they may be, video right. games, books, comics, whatever. So, just kind of like, a, you can probably get a quick thing, like, is the conflict that's in there, is it about how things have been handled in the past recent 10 years? Like, what is the driving force of the Civil War? That's a good question. I can't totally remember because it's been a long time since I've read the book. Um, but from my memory, correct if I'm rem- if I'm remembering correctly, it's more like this group that splinters off wants to be more vengeful and more proactive in conquering um, than they have been. Right, and I would assume that like. Based on conversations that we can have with Varric when you ask about what happened to the Aeroshock from DA2, he talks about kind of like, you know, the Kune in Parvalin quickly uh, basically disowned the Aeroshock's actions of DA2. Yeah. To say that, like, he wasn't working for us. Um, and so, and he says, like, they were trying to avoid another exalted march. 
So it's an idea. I'm, it sounds like to me from that that there's leadership within the triumvirate that do not want a long drawn out conflict with the rest of Thetis, particularly with Orle or to, or I mean they're in conflict with Taventure, but they don't want to bring Orle into this conflict. Yeah, I think that's true. And you have to remember we didn't talk about this um, because I didn't think it through, um, but. The rest of Thetis, other than Tevinter, they basically have, like, a treaty of peace with the Kunari. Like, there were a crap ton of exalted marches, um, separate from Tevinter's exalted marches. So they had, you know, right. like, a lot of wars in those middle, in those middle ages. But, um, technically, the Dragon's Breath conspiracy, which we're fixing to talk about, that could be seen as an act of war on the rest of Thetis and therefore a breach of that, that treaty. So. Right. Which is why the actions of the Aerostock and DA2 would be like denounced by the triumvirate. Right, right. Because Kirkwall has a history of invasion and conquering with the Cunari, which we learned in our free marches episode. Yes. All right. Well, let's, uh, Get into our side character, which answers my question from earlier. It does. So our side character for today is Vidasala. And if you've played Trespasser recently, you'll know Vidasala very well. We meet her in that DLC of Inquisition, Trespasser. And she is a co-leader of the Ben Hasrath. There are three co-leaders of the Ben Hasrath. This is kind of imitating the Triumvirate, right? Um, she's right. also a high-ranking agent of the priesthood, not just the Ben Hasrath, um, of the Arakun. Right. So she's also the first female Kunari major character that we meet, um, excepting, of course, a female Inquisitor that's Kunari. And I can't tell you a lot about her personality and who she is as a person, like where she grew up or anything like that. Because that's not something we learn about Kunari. So I'm just going to tell you what we know about her. And, and this might be a little bit shorter than our, our other ones, but we'll make it work. So the Vidasala specializes in finding, studying, researching, analyzing, and eradicating magic. She also handles the conversion of foreigners and the re-education of Kunari dissidents. She sees the world as drowned by the chaotic dangers of magic. And so she does whatever's necessary to stop magic, no matter the cost. So the Vidasala in Inquisition oversees the Dragon's Breath Conspiracy. And this was a plot to kill, like, all of the leaders of Southern Thetis. So that Orlay and Ferelden would be vulnerable to Kunari occupation. And if you don't quite remember what the Dragon's Breath Conspiracy is, it is basically a plot that happens um, at, it's, I mean, it's the major thing that leads to the end of Trespasser. But basically you're at the, what is it called? Exalted Council. Yes, thanks. So basically, you're at the Exalted Council, and 
you find a dead Kunari body. Um, just there. Don't know why. Don't know how. Don't know where it came from. So, of course, as the Inquisitor, you have to go investigate. And this leads you to uncover this plot where the Vidasala and her cronies have basically enslaved this dragon so that they can produce Gatlock, which is an explosive like dynamite. And uh, they're trying to take down the Inquisition because she sees the Inquisition as a supporter of the ancient magic god, Fen'Harel. Um, and in conversations with her, in the final, you know, leading to the final confrontation, the Inquisitor is basically like, look, I'm not associated with Fen'Harel. Like, I don't have an agent of Fen'Harel. What are you talking about? And Vidasala basically realizes that oh, the Inquisitor doesn't know about Soulless. Um, and so then that leads us into the final scenes of the game where um, Vitasala basically proclaims that the Inquisitor's soul is dust. And so she flees through an alluvion with a group of Kunari. Her personal Sarabas, which is a mage in Kunari, um, his name is Seraph, then attacks the Inquisition's party. After defeating Seraph, the party flees through that same alluvion where we then meet Solus. Most of us, I think, while playing, we are just totally focused on Solus because he's disappeared. Um, for those of us who romanced him as Solus Mancers, we're totally focused on him. You know, we're reunited, whatever. Well, Vitasala was confronting Solus just as we were fleeing, as we were coming through the Luvian. And we hear that, you can hear them. And Solus says that Vitasala should just leave, don't trouble him anymore. But instead of leaving, she turns to attack Solus. And before she can really move, Solus petrifies her with a single thought. It's interesting to me that like the real thing that points sticks out to me about this character other than that like you know being the first uh, female Canary person that we meet um, is her role in like kind of eradicating magic mm -hmm. and like the hatred and like I want to say fear that she associates with Fen Harrell. Yes. Yes, I want to. I want to know how the Kunari even know about Fen Harrell. Right, and so what is? So, for those of you who don't know, there is a very popular fan theory um, that you could research that talks about there is a connect a, talking about connection between the old gods of Deventer the Evanuris, and the dragons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that the... Because we see the only real, like, manifestation that we meet of the elven gods is Flemeth, Mithal, and Solus. What can Flemeth turn into that we've never seen any other cr creature 
do. She can turn into a dragon. Yeah, but so can Morrigan. And, and so can Morrigan. Um, which begs some interesting parallels there about um, what that does. I do think it's interesting that more so in Dragon Age 2, Flemeth's dragon looks very much like the Archdemon from Dragon Age Origins. Hmm. I've never noticed that before. Uh, right. And so it kind of lends the idea of what if the old gods are and the forgotten ones are the same. Yeah, I definitely see that one a little bit more than the old right. gods and the Evanuris. And there's an idea of, you know, there's a strong relationship between the old gods and dragons. They're all dragons. Mm -hmm. They can all be worshipped as dragons. And there's a connection to dragons, we think, with this and the Evanuris. And at least the, maybe the Forgotten Ones. And the Kunari say that they are descendants of, you know, dragons or whatever. And so... Maybe they fear Fen'Harel because of this, you know, inheritance of, like, dragons and everything. And, like, the dragons we meet in the games are not what I would call, like, sentient dragons. Mm -hmm. um, They're not D&D &D dragons. Like in other, right. But, like, in most other fantasy stories, dragons are not just mindless beasts that do whatever they please. Mm -hmm. they they have sentience they have intelligence they can talk even they yeah a lot of times they can talk um they're not mindless creatures and so it makes me wonder if like there is like an inherited inherited memory from like perhaps the dragons that we have are descendants or like manifestations of these gods in the world yeah i don't know i think that's a little bit of a stretch personally but it's definitely an interesting right. thought right i mean it would be interesting because we dragons what marks the start of the dragon age is the return of dragons to fate right and i think it'd be interesting this is all fan theory and speculation on my part um we don't really know when Solus wakes up. No, we don't know. And so perhaps there's a connection between the return of dragons and Solus waking up. Um, if there's a connection he, with the Evanuris. Right. And like Solus says that he just woke up, but like, what is time what is, to a god? What is just, you know? <laughs> like. Right, right. Yeah, like, that's fair. If Solus's claims are true, he's been alive for thousands of years. In that kind of time span, a hundred years is what, you know? A drop in the bucket. Like a half a percent of your time that you've been alive. Right. It's a fair point. So, like, that's, he could, so, yeah, that's my kind of, like, thing. Like, there's an interesting, like, it's drawing a connection between the Kindari and the Elven gods that I want to know more about. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I'm curious as well. Well, that's all I have about Vitisala.
All right. Well, I think that's all we have, unless you have some final thoughts about Parvalin or Saharan or anything, the Kinari. Nope. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.